With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. This is Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago for this week's show as we look ahead to the start of the 2019 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season and the Rolex 24 at Daytona. You ready to head down to Florida, John? Absolutely. We need to get out of this cold weather here. You're telling me. Yeah, the Midwest has has been a bit brutal here the last couple of days. So a trip to Florida sounds exactly like what the doctor ordered. We'll have a lot of Rolex 24 preview talk on the show this week, including in our interview with Brian Sellers, who is the reigning GT Daytona class champion. We'll talk to him about uh, a whole bunch of topics, in fact, a little bit later in the program. We've got listener question in the final segment of the show, uh, where we'll also preview the Rolex 24. And we've got a lot of news from the sports car racing world to get to here in segment one. We'll do that in just a moment. But first, you might have seen it on the site already, but uh, in case you missed it or just want some more information about it, we had uh, some exciting news as it relates to podcasts and sports car 365. John, I'll uh, put the floor open to you if you want to let folks know exactly what we've announced and uh, the various projects that we have in store here that will be what well, we really have already rolled out uh, by and large. Yeah, it's really exciting times for everybody at Sports Car 365. Um, we've announced on Monday the creation of Sports Car 365.fm, which is a dedicated um, podcast network for this show and others to come. Um, we also have launched a new show that Ryan is hosting called The Daily Digest that runs every morning in a really quick, rapid-fire format, under three minutes, um, recapping the, the top stories of the day. And we really think that's a, a new segment that, that is interesting for, for listeners to sort of get a, up to speed in the morning or afternoon or on the commute to and from work um, whenever they, they want to find out the, the latest and greatest sports car racing news um, but more importantly we do have this new um, network per se sports car 365 fm it'll be the home to all of our um, um, programming in the future we have a special reports channel that'll also be um, running content including um, daily reports from the rolex 24 this weekend once we head down there to in, in a couple days and other content throughout the year additional podcasts are also uh, in the pipeline we're evaluating some other options potentially for later in the year. But all in all, um, really exciting times. We've also added a lot of integrations into all these podcasts. Um, in addition to iTunes, um, all of the, the podcasts are available on Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. And also we've added some really exciting new integrations into um, smart home speakers with Amazon Alexa support and Google Home um, you can find out all about those details on, on sportscar365.com. But all in all, a comprehensive upgrade of our podcasting um, network and service. And I, I hope this shows the, the commitment we have to this medium and um, really excited to sort of further grow our, our, um, our reach with podcasting. Yeah, it's exciting. Certainly, uh, really, from a personal standpoint, uh, this has been a labor of love here the last couple of years. Hard to believe. What is this, our fourth season now yeah. of uh, the Double Stint Podcast? It's really grown in that time, and that's in large part thanks to you folks for tuning in and leaving reviews on iTunes and the interactions we get with uh, people with questions and things of that nature. We really do appreciate that. So thanks for helping us keep this thing growing, and hopefully you'll like what we're bringing to you uh, because uh, I think 
there's there's a lot to be excited about. So uh, keep it tuned to, of course, the website, sportscar365.com, also sportscar365.fm, and make sure you subscribe to, uh, in addition to, of course, Double Stint, the Daily Digest, which will be coming to you every single weekday throughout the year, and also our special reports, which, again, we'll be uh, doing once again from Daytona. We sort of debuted that at Le Mans in a bit of a haphazard way, just as an experiment, and it seemed to go over quite well. So we'll try and do some special reports more regularly at big events around the world. Enough about that, though. Uh, If you want more information, it's available at sportscar365.com. We have a whole post about it. But we've got plenty of other news from sports car racing to get into, and we'll do that now. Some news that came into us just before we started taping this podcast. We will be seeing an Acura NSX GT3 Evo in Blancpain GT World Challenge America next year. Racers Edge Motorsports, John, a longtime GT4 competitor, they'll be making the step up to running uh, the, the GT3 car next year, which is really cool to see. It's a, a great announcement and also starts to answer some of the questions. We're all waiting around trying to figure out what cars are going to be on the grid this year in that championship, and this is a welcome surprise, and I think there's a lot of optimism, it seems like, from series organizers that they're going to have some good news. This might be the start of that. Exactly. Um, I think we got some hints in the recent months that there will be a couple Acuras on the grid. We didn't know with who and with what. Um, Today we got the first announcement with Racer's Edge with Kyle Marcelli and Martin Barkey. This will be a Pro-Am class entry. Um, competing in that class. Um, those two drivers have driven together before in, in IMSA competition, so they're no strangers to each other. And I think this is going to be a really strong effort. Um, the car has proven to be a, a very capable uh, GT3 car, both in PwC and in IMSA, um, with the Evo package as well. I, I think that's very exciting. So um, congratulations to Racers Edge, John Meraki, and the, the whole crew. I think this is going to be a cool program to follow throughout the year. But like you said, in terms of overall car count, for um, Blancpain GT America, it's starting to look good. Um, we have quite a few entries already announced um, between KPAX, DXDT Racing. We're going to have two Porsches on the grid, most likely from Wright Motorsports and Allegra Motorsports. Um, we also have a couple other teams that aren't yet ready to announce. I think GMG is close to confirming a, a GT3 program as well. Um, latest numbers I've heard from Europe and, and from the mothership, per se, in, uh, in SRO is uh, close to 20 cars for GT3. So um, we'll see. I'm, I'm not saying that's a definite, but um, you have to trust the, the officials and, and, the, and, the, and the bosses there in SRO Motorsports and um, feeling pretty upbeat about the year ahead. So um, plenty to look forward to on, on that front. I'd say they don't say those things unless they're pretty confident in it uh, because it can leave them in a tough position if things don't materialize. So I suspect they've got good reason to be making those kinds of statements. The Asian Le Mans series had an interesting announcement here over the last few days about expansion into Australia, a brand new circuit, which is pretty exciting too, and also a new continent for the championship. I think this is going to be pretty well received. Yeah, absolutely. A real exciting time for for the championship as they continue to expand um, both in car count and and, and exposure. Announced the Asian Le Mans series announced uh, last week plans to host a race at the Bend. This is a brand new track um, near Adelaide. Uh, Sometime in the 19. the 2019-2020 season we believe it'll be in early 2020 and they've announced plans to use the full 7.77 kilometer that's 4.8 mile circuit here um, at at that facility so really um, cool this this marks the first time 
a Lamar style endurance race has taken pa- taken place in Australia since the race of a thousand years back in 2000, um, which was a round of the ALMS. I think it was actually a non-points championship round, but it was held on December 31st and sort of rung in the new year and in a pretty dramatic fashion. So um, really exciting for, for ACO and, and Asian Lamar to sort of be um, breaking into the Australian market and um, really hope, hopefully uh, this, this could be a, a good race to put on their uh, calendar. My understanding is this is not an expansion to five rounds of the championship. This would come at the expense of one of the existing races. What do you know about that and uh, the potential venue that might drop off the calendar? I haven't heard much about that. Um, they've been a bit tight-lipped on, on what will happen to that extent. Um, we know that the calendar is very compact. They they start their season in late October, early November, end the season in late February. Um, so there's not much room for races. So adding a fifth race does make it a challenge, obviously. So it would be logical to have it be to remain a four-round championship. I know there was some hopes of it, of it expanding to five races in the future, but I think the, the winter championship aspect of, this, of the series may prohibit that. And I think keeping budgets in check, too, has to factor in. And uh, anytime you're talking travel, uh, that, that is uh, a big part of it, trying to get down to Australia. And uh, I think they found something that's working right now. The car counts are growing, like you said. And it seems like the championship is in a pretty good place with some firm footing at the moment. So uh, I'm sure everyone involved will be careful with expansion. Don't want to go too quick for the participants keeping their needs in mind. Let's talk about uh, the California 8 Hours, John. We have a, a slight change of date for the upcoming race. We knew that it was shifting from the fall to the spring but uh, within that, we have a, a different date moving up a little bit to help accommodate television, it sounds like. Yeah, it's going to be run on Saturday of the race weekend at the end of March instead of Sunday, as initially announced. I think this actually came out um, late last year during one of the SRO events, either during their, their end-of-year banquet or at the FIGT World Cup Nations event in Bahrain. But um, SRO formalized it last week in, in announcing this date change and Quite honestly, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm always a fan of Saturday races myself. That time of year, people going in and out, traveling internationally, that's also going to benefit them. Um, we do know that TV time is at a bit of a premium in March as well, with March Madness going on, the basketball tournament. And um, I believe this race will again be on CBS Sports Network, and they're a partner of March Madness, um, and, and they uh, broadcast some of those games there. So I think that played a lot into it as well. But um, bottom line is, you know, just a slight change. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. But um, personally, I'm, I'm a fan of it. And another topic for our discussion this week, looking ahead, I know a lot of focus is, of course, on the Rolex 24, but we've got another big time event coming up in the not so distant future just the following week with the Liquamali Bathurst 12 hour we have the entry list now 41 cars John will take to the mountain for this year's edition of the race any lineups of note as you look through that entry list well, it's a slightly reduced field compared to previous years, but that's not a bad thing. We, we've always seen a lot of cautions, a lot of yellows and, and accidents 
at the mountain. And I think what we see this year um, is really, really, really good quality. Um, a stepped-up factory effort from Mercedes. Um, Audi is returned with about the same lineup that they've had last year. Um, Porsche is is back. Um, we have uh, Bentley returning to the mountain, um, full-season Intercontinental, we presume. That hasn't been officially announced just yet. But we also have some newcomers for, for Intercontinental GT Challenge in Nissan, stepping up with KCMG. Also BMW with um, uh, Schnitzer and Valkenhorst. So there's some really stacked lineups. Um, I, I, I just can't keep saying it enough. I think this event in general and the Intercontinental GT Challenge continues to grow. And um, what we've seen with, with the level of drivers and, and, and level of teams taking part in events like this, it's really um, something special to see. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Check out the entry list if you haven't seen it already. We have it posted at sportscar365.com. Also, stories, of course, on our other topics that we've talked about already on the podcast, plus everything else that's happened from the world of sports car racing since our last Double Stint podcast, all up on the website for you. With that, let's take a break. We've got Brian Sellers on the other side of this. A nice conversation with the reigning GT Daytona champion. Plenty of topics to cover with him with a new co-driver, an updated car, and a whole lot more. That's next on Double Stint. Hi, I'm Billy Johnson, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Reigning IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship GT Daytona Class Champion Brian Sellers joins us now on the Double Stint Podcast. Brian, uh, back with Paul Miller Racing in the WeatherTech Championship this year, back in a Lamborghini. But uh, despite the similarities there, there's also been a lot of change going on behind the scenes with uh, the updated car and also a different co-driver coming into the Rolex 24 this weekend. I know you guys got to work together and with the new car at the Roar, but uh, how prepared do you feel? Are, are you ready to hit the ground running when uh, cars get on track later this week? We're definitely ready to hit the ground running, but I don't. it's strange. I don't feel like you ever feel fully prepared for Daytona, and if I think I think the times that I have felt prepared, we come back to the race and and it all gets thrown out of the window because the track is so different by the time you get to the race weekend than it is from when you were at the Roar. So um, I would say we feel ready and we've done just about everything we can uh, to prepare ourselves for the race. But we'll see what happens when we unload. Obviously, um, you know, conditions are going to be significant different and uh we'll just have to kind of run through it all yep sounds like a plan i think everyone's in the same boat to some degree at least uh let's talk about your new teammate ryan hardwick i think if folks have been following sports car racing they'll know what he's done in super trofeo and in uh what has been known as pirelli world challenge but uh, for many i think he might be something of an unknown quantity so what can you tell us about ryan and your expectations for him this year well one of the things i said about ryan is is uh pretty interesting is that is I, I haven't met somebody that's nearly as determined as him um to, to do a good job i mean he is he's ready to kind of take the bull by the horns pardon the pun there with <laughs> lamborghini and everything but uh he's he's really ready and i think you know he he said over and over again he doesn't want to come in and 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 be a gentleman driver he wants to come in and be a driver he wants to learn he wants to, to gain. He wants to figure this thing out, not just in terms of speed. You know, he wants to be a well-rounded guy. 
And for me, that's something that I can really appreciate because it doesn't really matter what phase of your career you're in. It's, it's that kind of strive to better yourself that is, that is important to me. And that's, that's what I try and pride myself on. So I think we'll have a great working relationship. That doesn't sound all that different from how I would characterize Madison Snow, who you've been driving with uh, the last few years in terms of that outlook. Would you agree? No, I would agree completely. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we've been fortunate enough as a program is you look for the right people to come in. And those are, I think, the people that Paul really prides himself on having be a part of the program are the ones that are driven to be better. Um, And, you know, the ones that can hopefully try and elevate the aspect of of what the team has to offer uh and so i think yeah there are there are a lot of similarities i think you know ryan although he's somewhat new to motor racing is not new to motor sports not new to cars and i think those things will help kind of carry him through the year he'll be able to draw on different experiences although they may not be directly related to to racing in gtd Let's talk about the new car. The Lamborghini has gone through the Evo process. It's still on the surface, a Lamborghini. It's still the Huracan. It's still a GT3 car. But how much different is it year to year with the upgrade kit? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's actually very different. And in some ways, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around um, because you spend so much time in a certain, say, evolution of a car. And we were in the previous evolution, the, the gen, we'll call it a gen one Huracan. And in that gen one, you test for three years straight, you race for three years straight, you know, three Daytonas, three Sebrings on and on and on. So the mileage that you have in that car and the pre-programming that your body has in that car is, is substantial. Then you kind of roll into an evolution kit, but the interior, the inside, the way you sit, the way you feel is still telling you it's a Lamborghini, but yet the driving style has evolved uh, to be something completely different. So in some ways you have to kind of unlearn these bad habits for the new car um, that were good habits in, in the old one. And so it takes a little bit of time to make those adjustments and they come from everything from the amount of brake pressure you use to uh, how you drive with the attitude of the car, whether, you know, you drive with heavy off the front tire or heavy off the rear tire. And that's, you know, these are all good things. They were all huge improvements with the car aerodynamically, suspension wise, um, and then just some good technical upgrades but you know there are definitely some changes it's not just as easy as getting out of the old lamborghini and into the new one and a little confusing you were saying because the scenery is is unchanged from last year it looks the same so maybe harder to reprogram your head than it would be if you were in a completely unfamiliar environment i think in a lot of ways yes it's it's uh you, you know i'm i'm a big believer that you can hop in a lot of different things in your your body adapts to basically what that car needs right away, but it's much harder to make those adaptations when you're pre-programmed to driving something a certain way. And it's not the same as say, you know, for lack of a better example, getting out of a Lamborghini and into a Porsche that are two completely different animals. It is getting, you know, out of a Lamborghini and into another Lamborghini that, that are both very similar yet need different things. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, let's uh, back up the focus a little bit and look at uh, the season as a whole. Coming into a new year, but doing so as the reigning champion, how much different does it feel 
at this time in 2019 than uh, than you felt last season. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you uh, read the press release that's going to be. <laughs> coming out shortly here because um the, you know these are all questions that i think are super important and, and for me i you know one of the things i said is um i'm very proud of what we accomplished last year i'm very proud i'm very uh honored that we were able to win the championship and and that we were able to do it the way we did it with consistency with podiums with race wins and beating the people that I consider to be some of the best in the business in terms of race teams, race drivers, um, you know, race crews. Uh, so I think, you know, there's this, there's this big sense of accomplishment that we have. However, um, I also am on the mindset that unfortunately that year is done and now we're on to the next. And I don't think that any of our competitors care at all that we won the championship. Um, I don't think it means anything to them. And so at the same point in time, that's that's also my mindset coming in because I think we have to start over and you have to be just as driven, if not more, than what you were last year. And you have to assume that because there were 20 other people that didn't win the championship last year, that they want it even worse than what they did. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a target on our back. I think it's it's a new year a new, you know, set of downs, I guess, as it were. And the class hasn't gotten any easier in the off season, has it? No, no, it hasn't. And, you know, that's the crazy thing about GTD um, is you've seen the growth for years. And Daytona is always, it's always like a testament to talent. You see the best teams, the best drivers, um, the best of everything, because everybody wants that Rolex and, uh, I think also what you've seen is with with IMSA's adaptation to the series in terms of the sprint, the endurance cup, the overall championship, you've seen a lot of interest and a lot of people come in and do the series because of that. And, um, you know, you, you can think that, man, the competition could just never get more difficult than what it is. And then you look at the next year's entry list and it's harder. And that's just the way it is. That, that for me, drives me more, makes me want to win more because you want to continue to stay on the top of your game and you just always want to beat the best. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Brian, thanks for coming on. Best of luck this weekend down in Daytona. It's a huge race and an exciting time. Anytime you're kicking off a brand new season, looking forward to seeing you down there. Thanks, Ryan. It's my pleasure. Hi, guys. I'm Christian Fittipaldi, and you're listening to Sports Cars 365 Double Stage Podcast. Back on Double Stint, thanks to Brian Sellers for joining us. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. John, back with me now to first get to a listener question that came in in the comments section from the show last week. It's from Masked Racer, who wants to know, are the pit lane and safety car pit stop procedures the same as in 2018, despite the move to split the prototype category into two classes? Really good question, and we had to go look into the regulations just to make sure this was the case. And the short answer is yes for pit lane, no for safety car. 
Um, DPI and LMP2 cars will be permitted to pit on the same lap together. The first lap as they come in, the GT cars the next lap as it was last year. But on wave-by procedures, DPIs will get the wave-by. LMP2s won't. So LMP2s will be grouped with the GTLM and uh, GTD cars um, in not getting a wave-by. And that's come with some controversy, but I guess we'll have to see how that works out um, this weekend at Daytona and, and maybe at Sebring. Give it a few races to see how it all plays out. Yep. Thanks for the question, Masked Racer. And if you have a question for our next show, you can leave it in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. Finally, John, let's preview the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Obviously, it goes without saying. It's a huge event. A lot of excitement coming into it. One thing that was really interesting to me, coming into the race and out of the roar, we were wondering what the series might do from a BOP perspective, and really, not a lot of change. And most interestingly, there was no decision to slow down the GT Daytona class as a whole, which was something that had been considered previously. Yeah, and I think there's a couple factors here to examine. Um, First is IMSA's new philosophy of balance of performance. They're taking a much different approach in terms of their negotiations, their discussions with the manufacturers, how they go about achieving the BOP. Um, We have a story on on Sports Car 365 about that. Um, I spoke to, to Jeff Carter, the IMSA tech chief, about that back at the Roar. And he sort of stressed to me that they don't want to make any quick changes. They don't want to make changes every race. They want full communication with teams. They want to show the data. They want to be fully transparent through this process. And they seemed pretty confident with the starting BOP that they issued prior to the roar. And by not seeing many changes following the roar, that sort of validates what you know what they they feel and sure there are some adjustments and you can go through the whole list on on the site we have an article up but i think the biggest adjustments are like a 10 or 15 kilo weight change to the bmw and gtd but uh, honestly there's nothing else of note other than a couple small restrictor changes nothing in dpi for for that matter other than fuel capacity so We'll see how the race plays out. Obviously, there were some fast cars at the roar, but we all know that not everybody really shows their full strength um, at the preseason test. So um, we'll have to, to wait and see. But to your point, Ryan, about the GTD slowdown, I know um, Jeff acknowledged that was under consideration. And I, I think that IMSA sort of felt that the separation after the qualifying session for the pit boxes and uh and garage spaces at the Roar, it sort of made it a bigger gap between the classes. I, I think that they're happy with the, the lap time gap. Top speed gap is still very close, but there's only so much you can do, especially with, with GT3 spec cars um, sort of being at the lower end of the, the BOP spectrum already. If you start slowing them down, you're going to have adverse effects between the performances of each car within that class. So I think it makes a lot of sense to not make any changes because we'll probably see a a, a bigger separation naturally at the rest of the tracks. Daytona is really a a special one in, in its own right in terms of BOP and performance. It'll give us plenty to to look at going into the the race itself, and certainly a lot of people curious to see just who 
might have been holding back a little bit at the roar, and I suspect we might have a couple answers to that if suddenly some cars are going faster than what we saw a few weeks back. Other Rolex 24 stories, John. Uh, Some more lineups have been confirmed. Really not a lot of mystery left going into race week, which is a departure from previous years when you'd see drivers walking around with helmet in hand hoping to land a ride. Not a whole lot of that going to be going on with basically one seat, we believe, open and up for grabs at this point. Yeah, only the Monteplast by Land Audi remains unconfirmed in terms of its full driver lineup. We had Ricardo Feller, a, a, a ADAC GT Masters driver, um, test the car initially, but he's no longer on the entry list. So we'll have to chase that one down once we get down to Daytona to, to find out what exactly is happening with the fourth seat there. But um, remaining seats have been filled up. We have the final two drivers at Ebby Motors confirmed, with Giacomo Eltole, um, the, the reigning Lamborghini World Final champion, with teamed with Taylor Proto, who, t- who competed in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America Championship last year. They're, they're in the number 46 uh, Ebby Motors Lamborghini. Also, we have Milos Pavlovich, who has been confirmed as the fourth driver in the PPM Lamborghini. And um, more recently, we got news that that Augusto Farfus is going to be filling in for Tom Blomquist in uh, one of the Ray Hall run BMWs in GTLM due to a visa uh, application delay for Tom. So we get the Brazilian back for the Rolex 24 and what will be his sixth appearance in the race. Outside of the driver lineups, I think a lot of people are excited about some of the liveries that we've seen unveiled. Historic liveries. It, it all started back at the Roar when the Riley team AMG operation uh, unveiled uh, what they're going to be running on their car, that wins livery that goes back a couple decades. How about some of these others, John? Some, w- which ones caught your eye, first of all, uh, of the ones that we've seen announced in recent weeks? Well, I really like the core Autosport one, um, paying tribute to the historic uh, Nissan GTP era. Uh, that was something that was sort of uh, nice to see with, with those those colors on that car. Also, the Starworks livery, um, paying tribute to the Audi Quattro that ran in GTO competition back in the day. And also, we have the Acura Team Penske cars, which also flash back to the IMSA GTP days as well. So those are some really cool um, designs. It's great to see some teams embracing this, you know, along with Ford Chip Ganassi Racing, actually, that's another team that's announced uh, historic liveries as well with the Motorcraft design. We're going to be seeing some of those on the Multimatic uh, run Mustangs in the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge races as well. So really cool to see. We'll see how many of these stick around for the entire season. I think some of these are just for Daytona, but I'm sure there, there might be some other surprises as we uh, go throughout the year. So we could have another last minute surprise. Yeah, stay tuned. I think we should have some news on Wednesday about another uh, historic livery, per se, being unveiled for the 24. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that announcement uh, coming up later on in the week. Finally, let's talk about the race itself. What do we expect, I think, outside of LMP2, unfortunately, due to the low car count? Not a lot to be excited about there, but the other three classes have bumper grids, Fantastic driver lineup. Seems like some pretty decent parity in terms of the BOP uh, and and the times that we saw at the Roar. Where to where to begin, John? I think we're we're in for a, a really fun week and a fun race. Yeah, I think it's almost a little early to say to give a proper preview of what the race will be because I think we need to see how Thursday plays out, even Friday's final practice, because um, you know the Roar typically does not 
show the full strength of everybody. And I, I think the biggest thing we can sort of say is that track records will be broken. I think that's the easiest sort of declaration considering the pace we saw at the roar in the, in the DPI class. Um, I think we'll see PJ Jones's uh, lap record at Daytona eclipsed um, no doubt in, in qualifying uh, most likely probably in practice as well leading up. So that's what I'm looking forward to now. You got to take it day by day at the Rolex because every, there's so much that goes on um, at this event, so much excitement, so much building up. Um, like you said, I, I think LMP2 is a little depleted. Um, it's unfortunate given those, you know, there's a lot of top teams in that class with some cool cool driver lineups. But I think a lot of the attention will be on DPI, GTLM, and, and what GTD is, is brought as well. I'm excited, too, to see what Michelin is going to do in its new role as the de facto sole tire provider for the WeatherTech Championship. Technically, GTLM is still open, but uh, they've they've been the only comer there for for quite a while and now they take over the rest of the field as well plus the uh, the other series that will be on hand throughout the year uh, under the IMSA umbrella which is exciting uh, as well to keep an eye on Michelin Pilot Challenge and Prototype Challenge I know a lot of the folks at Michelin last year they were just chomping at the bit waiting to have this opportunity and now they get to do it and I suspect we'll see a lot from them at the Rolex 24 as they unveil this new era for them in, in IMSA competition and the TV coverage it's a new era there too with NBC taking over I think if there were any doubts about about NBC's commitment to IMSA and the Rolex 24 in particular when you saw the announcement of uh, all the, the personalities that they're bringing in, the, the pit, Peacock pit box that they employ for NASCAR, that's going to be there as well. I think they're pulling out all the stops, and they had a huge presence at the Roar, too, with their on-air folks and some behind-the-scenes people as well, just trying to soak up sports car racing ahead of their debut as the uh, the broadcast partner for the series. I think for fans, that, that might be the one that is going to be most noticeable in this uh, change going into 2019, and, and I think I, I think it's something to be excited about, the level of commitment that NBC has given to motorsports generally to see that applied now to sports car racing. Absolutely. And there will be some new faces sports car racing fans will have to get used to, both from the IndyCar and NASCAR front. But I think the level of professionalism this this network brings and, and the cast of characters they have planned is really, really strong. Um, personally, I'm looking forward to that. And, and also, we can't forget the folks at IMSA Radio. Um, they're back again for another year. They provide excellent coverage as well throughout the season. They're the only ones on site for every race throughout the WeatherTech Championship season. John Hindoff, Jeremy Shaw, Shea Adam, got some new additions this year with Brian Till and, and Jamie Howe. So um, really cool to see that as well, see that program grow and, and see NBC grow and Michelin. And there's a lot of talking points heading into this year. Yeah, it's got me with a big smile on my face right now. Can't wait to jump on the plane on Tuesday. And uh, we'll be seeing you down there pretty soon, John. That's going to be a wrap for us on the show for this week. Did want to make a quick note, however, that in addition to our expansion of the podcast network, we have uh, debuted a Patreon page, a a way for listeners to help support our expanded podcast network. Don't worry, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but if you're so inclined, we've got some pretty neat uh, benefits that come with being a patron of the SportsCar365.fm network, Uh, those Benefits include things like weekly Google Hangouts and video chats with me and with John, some meetups on site at races, a chance even to do some advertising for you if you're a business owner or have a company that you'd like to highlight here uh, in the podcast. So some neat stuff. I encourage you to check it out. There should be a link at the bottom of the page here um, on sportscar365.com and the 
sportscar365.fm page where you can help support us by being a patron. Consider it. But uh, one way or the other, we'll continue with the content you've come to expect from us in the coming weeks. That's going to be it for us this week. We love a rating and a review on iTunes. And thanks as well, I should mention, to our first patrons, James Dakin and Jerry Harding, already signing up. Thank you very much, folks. And uh, hopefully you might consider joining them. We'll talk with you later on in the week with our special reports coming your way from the Rolex 24 at Daytona. This is Double Stint. Double Stint.